Welcome everybody. Thank you everyone for joining us. So I'm Oka Harris. My name is Shauna Fold and I'm the host of the Israel Daily News podcast. Welcome everybody. We're doing our show Monday through Thursday and our show has the top five news stories coming out of Israel every day, Monday through Thursday of the week. And on Thursdays, we highlight some special guests and we are going to highlight today Jason Silverman of Shrinking the Conflict. Jason Silverman is the co-founder of Shrinking the Conflict and the lead researcher. He specializes in Palestinian-Israeli relations, and we're going to be asking him today about the Palestinian Authority. In recent times, it has been seen, well, not so recent, but it, it has been seen in the past as being one of the more uh, reasonable, responsible governing parties in the Palestinian territories and a possible partner in peace. So we're going to be talking about if that's possible today to have peace there. And we're also going to be talking about the Temple Mount. And what we're going to be talking about there is religious freedom. Who has religious freedoms on the Temple Mount? Should Jews and Muslims pray together there? Should they not? What is the situation? So I'm going to invite Jason to come on with us and uh, then we'll, we'll ask him some of our questions and we'll dive in. He's going to be with us in just a moment. Hi, Jason. Hi, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you for bringing the energy. How are you? Good. It's great to be here. I'm excited uh, to join uh, to join your podcast and uh, share some of my thoughts about uh, what's going on and such a interesting but also really complicated topic that I think uh, everyone sort of has an opinion on. So I'm uh, happy to be here. Absolutely, everyone has an opinion on this. So <laughs> first of all, welcome to all of your followers that are rolling in and joining us and our followers at the Israel Daily News podcast. So. Jason is getting a PhD in this topic at uh, Hebrew University right now. So Kola Kavod, congratulations. Thank you. So let's get started. Why don't you tell us a few words about shrinking the conflict and then we'll move into our questions. Perfect. So shrinking the conflict was, uh, it's an idea that's inspired by a book uh, called uh, Catch 67 that was written by a, an Israeli thinker uh, called, uh, his name is uh, Micha Goodman. And the basic premise is that sort of solving the conflict in the near future, it's probably not realistic. It's not feasible. Uh, we're in an impasse. I think most people can recognize that, that for several years now, um, uh, there's, we've only been given two solutions, right? Uh, the the, the two-state solution and the one-state solution. And in the end, what we think is that there's actually this secret consensus or this hidden consensus in Israeli society that says, you know, we're sort of afraid at this point in time, you know, how, what, under the conditions that we see now, uh, to go all the way with either of those. And so now we're in an impasse, and, the, and, and we think about the conflict in a really binary way, either one state or two states. And most people just, uh, uh, they're not able to uh, be active in it, not being able to move forward. And so there's nothing left to do. So we offer a new way of looking at it, this new paradigm of shrinking the conflict, where we can get out of that impasse by working together to find uh, different pinpointed, uh, different pinpointed projects, policies that we don't actually, that don't solve the conflict, but they move us forward now. And both right and left in Israel can actually agree on it. There's consensus on a lot of these uh, different topics. So just because we can't solve the conflict tomorrow morning doesn't mean that there's nothing we can do about that. Okay, great. Thank you for bringing us to that point. And uh, a lot of the times, some of the most important statesmen 
and stateswomen in history have been those with that long-term vision and the ones who said, I'm going to put the seeds in the ground now because I know that in 10 years or in, even in 50 years, it's going to mean something and that is um, a skill. So m moving into the first topic, is the Palestinian Authority a partner, a potential partner in peace for Israel? Simply. Yeah. And give us a little background about who the Palestinian Authority is, just in case anyone is joining us and they don't really know who that is and what they do. Sure. So the Palestinian Authority is, uh, actually came about in the early 1990s. Right? They were established uh, with the Oslo Accords that both Israel and the Palestine Liberation Organization, the PLO, they signed together. And they're basically this semi-autonomous body that uh, governs the Palestinian population at that time in, uh, in the West Bank and uh, in the Gaza Strip. Uh, so throughout time, you know, there were, there's always been cooperation between the two, between the Palestinian Authority that's, that's ruled and run mostly by a one political party called Fatah. And, um, and so throughout this time, there's a lot of cooperation on economic issues, um, uh, on um, different uh, institutions that operate in the West Bank and Gaza. There's also, there were, you know, there are Palestinians that come into Israel, cross the borders, everything. But at the same time, there's been a lot of dilemmas, right? There's lots of dilemmas where the Palestinian Authority has encouraged uh, terror in a lot of different uh, ways, in a lot of different years. Uh, the, the, the second Intifada, right? Uh, the Palestinian Authority was at the, at the, you know, one, on one hand, part of that, encouraging it, not stopping all of it. But on the other hand, it's really interesting because, especially in like, I, I would say the last 20 years or so, the Palestinian Authority is actually responsible for thwarting a lot of uh, terrorist attacks that are attempted on Israelis. So it's sort of this uh, dilemma because there's a, there's a security cooperation between the IDF, between the Israeli uh, security forces, as well as the Palestinian Authority uh, security forces. And so at the, on, on the one hand, uh, they've, they're definitely problematic, right? They also uh, vote against Israel in the UN. They try to uh, waive uh, public opinion against Israel in the international community, uh, encourage uh, BDS, boycotting Israel. But at the same time, there's close cooperation between the two. And they both, and as I said, uh, a lot of times the Israelis don't even have enough time to react to any kind of attempted terrorist attack because the, on the Palestinian side, the Palestinian Authority actually already uh, thwarted it. So I think that on the one hand, they are a, uh, a problematic actor, uh, but on the other, it's sort of what we have. You know, it's the only partner that is there in a sense. It's not the best partner, but Israel can't choose who represents the Palestinian people, who represents Palestinians in the West Bank. And for the most part, there is cooperation. And that is a positive thing in any kind of, because the, also the Israelis also are so familiar with the Palestinian Authority, know how they work, they know each other. Um, um, the Israelis don't also want to see them uh, fall or collapse. And in today, you know, today, there's a lot of concern about the stability of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. So it's a complicated character, but I think as of right now, it's who we have. 
And uh, that's who we know how to work with. And so it's the best option that there is. Thank you for that. Now, I just want to remind viewers, listeners, if you have a question, and you can put questions in the comment box, but I love to put the questions in the question box down at the right-hand side of your screen. There's a little bubble with a question mark in it. And if you have a question, please put it in there because I love to bring it up on screen so that as we go through the, um, the live, people who are listening to the answer to the question can actually see what the question is right there. So thank you first for breaking that down and giving us some of those insights. What I want to understand next about the Palestinian Authority is... In recent times, and I mean really in the, in the last month, in the last four weeks, there's been more question about their democratic leanings than ever in the, than in the last years that I've lived in Israel and that I've been covering this conflict. Um, the Palestinian Authority is under fire right now for having quieted a number of advocates, journalists, politicians, and um, that is raising a flag for a lot of Palestinians, making them feel nervous. Some of them were never in favor and now they just are feeling more hateful. Can you tell us a little bit about what is going on there? Are they a democratic <laughs> governing body? And um, what should people, what, what's the truth? Yeah. So the truth how I see it, they're definitely not a democratic, uh, they're, they're very authoritative. You know, I, sometimes I think about it and I think that in the Palestinian Authority, there's more emphasis on the authority than there is on the, on the Palestinians sometimes. And so we can see this in a lot of different ways. Uh, as you mentioned, especially in recent months, you know, there were supposed to be elections uh, in May and those were canceled. Uh, those were supposed to be the first elections that have taken place since 2005. 2005 were the last elections and of course, they, that was a disaster for both Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, Hamas, the, you know, the terrorist organization that now rules the Gaza Strip, they won those elections, you know, the parliamentary elections, and then a civil war broke out, uh, basically between the Palestinian Authority, who leads it, the Fatah Party, and Hamas, uh, which then led to the overtaking of the Gaza Strip. That's how that happened. And so today, you know, 15, uh, 15 years or so passed, and there were supposed to be another round of elections. And, um, and so the, the Palestinian president, his name is Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen, he was supposed to, uh, to implement those elections. And at the last minute, he canceled the elections. You know, these long-awaited elections that actually had w more and more parties uh, that were participating in them, more sort of youth, democratically-based parties, as well as the <clears throat> traditional parties that were uh, participating there. And he canceled it. And of course, there was a nice excuse of uh, that Israel didn't let uh, East Jerusalem Palestinians vote uh, in those elections as, as Palestinians. Um, but uh, but yeah, so they so they so he canceled the elections, and that's just one example of how the Palestinian Authority uh, uh, just continues to sort of sit on its you know on its rule and to strengthen itself. Another one. Recently, a, uh, a really um, a pretty well-known activist, we call him Mizar Banat, from the Hebron area. So he was an activist that was extremely critical of the Palestinian Authority. He uh, you know, mentioned on a lot of his, uh, on his social media pages how uh, you know, they are becoming even more and more authoritative or authoritarian. And, and he was arrested, he was imprisoned, 
and he was and he was killed as a result of being tortured and so so I think that that's what there are there is a lot of frustration and also part of that I go I'll go back to the elections for a second was that Hamas was also favored in those elections again and so I think a lot of that is on the one hand the authoritative nature of the Palestinian Authority and that they're not willing to change they're not willing to have elections ele uh, democratically elected having a democratically elected government uh, and I think that there's also an issue here that Israel has a role I think in also giving them political wins, uh, giving them um, um, uh, ways to, to show the Palestinian people that there is some kind of progress without taking it too far. You know, even if Israel is not willing and, and if, if both sides are not ready to go to negotiations as, you know, in shrinking the conflict, we think that there's still something we can do. And that's what the Israeli government is actually trying to do right now in order to strengthen their position. Is, is give them more uh, economic freedom, freedom of movement. Just last week, or just or this next week, is the Israeli government's going to be voting on increasing the amount of work permits for Palestinians give, and, and trying to address unemployment, and therefore showing that the Palestinian Authority actually is getting some kind of, uh, some kind of success in doing so. But yes, the authoritative nature is a problem, but I still think that there's still, Israel can't choose who their leaders are. Uh, in that sense. So, sorry, you said that there's going to be a vote in the Israeli Knesset about Palestinian work permits, and what does the PA have to do with that? Yeah. Why did you bring the PA into that? Yes, because I think that there's this, uh, the PA is also looking for, they won't do it publicly, I guess, but they're looking for ways to strengthen its own position, to show that they are able to uh, govern in a way that is... Uh, that is good for the Palestinian people. And so just two weeks ago, uh, the Biden administration, introducing another, uh, another country here, but it's very relevant, especially in this conflict. They, uh, rec they were, after um, different conversations with the Palestinian Authority, they reached out to the Israelis, to the Israeli Foreign, uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, in order to think of a number of different gestures like that, in order to uh, decrease this kind of friction and increase and, and uh, strengthen the uh, Palestinian Authority's position there in the West Bank. And so there is cooperation. And so Israel also has, not responsible, but does have a small part to play in that. Okay, thank you. Very fascinating. And what I want to move into when we talk about uh, fairness and when we talk about partners and uh, these two peoples that we have living right next door to one another is the Temple Mount. And what I wanna ask first before, actually, before we move into that, let's see if we have any questions. Okay. We may have a question. So we had a question that I thought was relevant earlier. Is that because they are worried their followers would turn on them if they were too pro-Israel? And what I think that the person, what I think that this comment is addressing is, um, is the PA hesitant to display their, co their cooperation and collaboration with uh, the Israeli government in an effort to hold back from the Palestinian people just how much in, in coordination that they are in fear that the Palestinian public won't, will not like that? Absolutely. Uh, there's definitely an, a really challenging balancing game going on. Where on the one hand, the Palestinians uh, the Palestinian Authority has to show 
that they're not just the subcontractor of the Israelis, that they, uh, that they, you know, they, they punish them in the UN, they resist against them in a number of different ways, and they try to promote themselves diplomatically on their own. And so, but at the same time, that, and, and, and so that's also why uh, the, the Palestinians are also reaching out in this sort of low-key, under-the-radar kind of way. They say to the Israelis, you know, we'll take, you know, these, these steps, these initiatives, they benefit us, of course, but we can't actually go out and, and you know, beg the Israelis to give us more um, authority or give us prosperity. We, that's not how, you know, we can actually do that uh, in order to, you know, look decent and legitimate in front of our own constituency, the Palestinians. And so that's why even for the Israelis, doing it under the radar, which is, act, is, that, is, is exactly what's happening, you know, is, is, is good for the Israelis too. They don't have to publish it and make it a big PR issue because they also don't want to be viewed as giving too much without getting anything in return. And so this sort of under the radar promoting uh, more cooperation is sort of beneficial for both sides. Okay, thank you for that. Now, let's see if we have any others. Okay, so this question is going to come into play in part two of this interview. So question for you, does shrinking the conflict focus on religious rights, especially at the Temple Mount? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, so in terms of the Temple Mount, I would say that we actually do not deal with this issue as of right now. And there's a, re a really specific reason for that. One of our, as I mentioned, and also in the, those first few sentences when I talked about shrinking the conflict, I talked about how we as an organization, we promote uh, different policy initiatives and steps that, are in the that have a consensus around them. Just like um, the two permanent, uh, any, any kind of permanent solution, those are things that actually rip us apart. You know, while we're trying to shrink the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, we're also trying to heal or shrink the Israeli-Israeli conflict. The, the, you know, the conflict of Israel and Palestine, that is the, probably the most sensitive uh, topic and the most divisive topic in Israeli society. You know, uh, there's been a lot of political violence as a result. A prime minister, right, Yitzhak Rabin, in the, in the mid-1990s was, was killed as a result. Activists have been killed as a result. And so we promote, we try to show that where there actually is a consensus, where the right and the left actually can agree, and that's what we promote. And there's so many things that we actually agree on. And so something like the Temple Mount, we actually think that that's something that, in general, I don't, I don't think that there's nothing we can do about it, but for the most part, it should be untouched. The sort of status quo for now should be, um, uh, should be preserved, and we should be focusing on the things that we do agree upon. Okay, great. So thank you for that. So let's talk a little bit about the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount, for those who maybe that sounds familiar, but you're not quite sure exactly what it is. If you go into Jerusalem and you see the Dome of the Rock, you see a big, shiny gold material, and it looks like a religious building. You're right. It is a religious building. It's a mosque. And it is a very holy site for Muslims and Palestinians and people who follow the Islamic faith around the world. Now, also at this site is a holy site for Jews. And there are some disputes about why it's holy for Jews. And there are multiple different stories. So 
Jason, why don't you give us a little, you know, 30 seconds history of why this place is important and then tell us what's going on right now. Why are people so tense and worked up about it? And is there going to be a solution? Uh, there, there are solutions and there are people right now talking about this issue in Israeli parliament, trying yeah. to figure out what's the best way to allow Muslims and Jews to both practice their, their, their uh, religiousness there. So you can tell us a little bit about why that place is important and what's happening now. And, and maybe what Shrinking the Conflict thinks about how it should be solved. Yeah. So uh, a very brief, incomplete history. It's the, you know, the, it's the third most uh, holy site in Islam. Um, and, uh, for, and, and of course, it's, it's being ruled uh, or, or being controlled religiously by uh, a Muslim uh, institution called the Waqf. It's a Jordanian institution, actually, which stems from when the Jordanians actually were ruling uh, uh, over Jerusalem. Uh, between 1948 and 1967. So it's uh, the third holiest site, right? And so Muslims are obviously going there daily. And there are thousands that go there from all of the Palestinian authorities and even abroad, people that come, those that are able to, uh, for every holiday during Ramadan. And, um, and on the other hand, for Jews, it's actually the holiest, it's the holiest site uh, uh, for Jews. It's not, some people think that like the Western Wall is the holiest site, but it's actually just the closest place that Jews can pray in order to get to that holiest site. And uh, it was the Holy of Holies, it was called, um, uh, that sits up there in the, in the temple itself, the Jewish temple, the second temple, sat on, on where the Dome of the Rock is, um, um, what is uh, understood to be there. And so that is the, uh, uh, that's the history. And so what has been happening recently? So there have been a number of clashes there in recent months. Uh, the first part in the events of May, uh, there were a number of clashes in Jerusalem that were uh, based on a number of different events that took place here in Israel. There was the protests in the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. There was um, a lot of riots and protests taking place uh, with, and, and violence between uh, Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews inside Israel. And there was also a military operation that was taking place uh, in Gaza and rockets being launched on, uh, on Israel all the way to the, you know, the center of the country. And so there was a lot, of, um, a lot of clashes taking place with Israeli forces. And so it's also important to remember that anything, you know, that is sort of the, um, the most sensitive issue especially for this conflict and especially for the religious aspect of this conflict. You know, people are willing to die for this place. Uh, hundreds and thousands of Muslims, not only in Israel and Palestine, but around the world. And another event that took place more recently, which is why people are talking about it today, was there was a holiday, a fast, uh, called Tisha B'Av, the ninth of the Hebrew month of Av in Israel. And it's the second most important uh, fast just under Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And, um, and so on that day, because on Tisha B'Av, Jewish people around the world are commemorating the destruction of these temples. And so that is the focal point of this remembrance, is the temple. And uh, so the Israeli authorities allowed about 1,700 Jewish uh, worshipers to ascend onto the Temple Mount. And, um, and so because of that, because that's sort of 
breaking with the status quo in a sense, which when in, in the status quo is that it's it's ruled by Muslims, uh, and Jews are only are not allowed to actually uh, or pray for anyone, or actually are allowed to pray on the Temple Mount, um, and so there were clashes because of that, and so. You know, what do we do about this? And so one interesting thing is that there actually is a uh, there actually is a small section like right next to this entrance. It's like a little tent kind of thing and where there are Jewish prayers taking place on a on a regular basis. But going too deep into the compound of the Temple Mount, they're not, you know, Jews or Christians are not allowed to pray, only Muslims. And so if I think on a personal level, you know, what should, what should we do about this? I mean, I think, I mean, I believe in equal rights, right, in general. That's my viewpoint. Equal rights, equal rights for religious faith, religious expression. And so I think, you know, a lot, saying that Jews can't pray there is like saying that Muslims can't pray uh, in Mecca, you know, which is the, 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 the actual, the, whole, the most holiest uh, site uh, for um, the Kaaba. It's called uh, for Muslims. Um, but at the same, so in ideally, I want Jews to be able to pray there as well. Maybe in far away from each other and not right next to each other, but I want Jews to be able to pray. But as I mentioned before, when I answered this last question, I think for shrinking the conflict, I think that there's not any consensus about this issue. There are Jews that think that, you know, the Western Wall, the Kotel, it's good enough. Uh, some Jews think, in Israel, of course, um, some think that, uh, you know, we have to rebuild the temple and build it there and destroy everything there. So there's no consensus. And it's something that I think in the near future will rip us apart as a society and will also lead to more and more violence on the scale of like the Intifada, which was uh, this outbreak of violence for a number of years from 2000, 2005. There were suicide uh, bombings and, and many people on both sides were killed. And uh, so I think that it's something actually that if we try to do something that's outside of the status quo, it will actually make the conflict worse and it'll, it'll do the opposite of shrinking the conflict. Uh, but in the future, in general, I do think that there needs to be a way to have a section, even if it's far away from the mosque, but have a section that allows Jews to really have that same freedom of expression. Is that the outlook of shrinking the conflict? Yes, the outlook of shrinking the conflict is uh, that this is a step, this is an issue that, we actually, that will actually increase the conflict and not uh, shrink the conflict because it's not found in the consensus. It's not something that, uh, it's something that is more close to actually a permanent agreement, which we know that we need to build up more trust. We need to uh, prepare uh, sort of the way to get to that point. We're still not there. Okay, well, that was definitely an interesting take. And sometimes you have to sort of double down. And uh, I mean, definitely, when you have left and right, sometimes they say that the leftists may, this is a common critique, that the leftists actually make things worse, because they don't stand their ground, and they don't right. say what they want. And they don't, sh they don't speak up about what the people want. And they just they yeah. give and you know, so this is a common critique, not necessarily my own. So it's interesting to hear this in the um, as being used as part of the uh, language and outlook. Yeah. So very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. We did have one question um, and I'd just like you to briefly answer it and then we're gonna head out. The question is, do you believe a separation of religion and state is necessary and possible for more peaceful coexistence? Well, that's a big question. 
Um, on a per personally, yes. I, I mean, I think that I think that in Israel, I don't think that there needs to be a complete separation of religion and state. Uh, I do think that. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't think that uh, you know today in Israel, you know, religion is controlled by sort of one specific body uh, for for all religions. You know, it's uh, it can only be a religious wedding or one type of religious wedding also. So I don't think that that needs it needs it doesn't need to, you know there should be civil marriage. There should be. Um, you know, as is promised in Israel's Declaration of Independence, the freedom of all religions, of all expressions, of culture, of language, and all of that. But I do think that uh, it shouldn't be a problem, you know, that, that Israel has a sort of dominant um, sort of religious identity. Just like in the U.S., uh, I would say nationwide, there's not an official uh, religion of the country, but there is... You know, all the holidays that are off, uh, that, that people take off, are Christian holidays, uh, for the most part. And so in Israel, I don't think that's a problem. Just like in Europe, it's the same thing also. For Christian holidays, there's uh, no school, there's no work, uh, places are closed. And so I think in the Jewish state, the Jews have a right to that same uh, kind of privilege without, uh, without um, sort of discriminating against someone else. And I don't think that those are mutually exclusive. I don't think that the fact that Israel can be a Jewish majority state, that the, the religious and cultural expression is the majority because the majority pop, that's the majority population, doesn't mean that, uh, that Muslims or Christians or any other religious identity has no room. I think there is a way uh, to balance both of that. It doesn't have to be a zero-sum game where one is at the expense of another. Okay. Okay, well, thank you for that answer. Thank you for bringing us a little bit of shrinking the conflict uh, yeah. right here to the Israel Daily News. And um, thank you for being with us, Jason. It was really a pleasure. You were absolutely, you really, you really wrapped it all up into a little gift for us. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. It was great. Absolutely.